We are beginning a book tonight. We did the overview and the um, and the preparation for the book last week. If you're not familiar with how we do things here, we go straight through Scripture. And that just um, lets you know that we're not on some form of agenda other than God's. Because I really love it when we just do what the Lord tells us. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand please and we'll get one right to you so that you can open it up and check on what I'm saying so you know I'm not making this stuff up. And then in the New Testament, you'll find the book of 1 Corinthians. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 1. Happy Thanksgiving Eve for all of you. I, I don't know about you, but in my opinion, I would think that, that British people should be the ones celebrating more than Americans. Um, yeah, it's, you know. I mean, I think only because it got rid of some of us ruffians. But the, um, there is a real sweet, I think we should be thankful every day. That's the will of God according to First Thessalonians. I want to let you know that uh, we are seeking to be a blessing to anyone and everyone we can this Christmas season. I would ask for you to join with me in praying as... Uh, things become fairly desperate for some people during this season. You start looking at family, um, and you look at things like it's a wonderful life, and you realize, well, my life's not so wonderful. And uh, there are these kind of Disney-ish ideas about what a family is, and, and most people, even with good families, don't measure up. And so I just would ask for you to join with me in praying that we would be ready and available to issue hope to people during this season because it's a real needed thing. Um, Also along those lines, we want to be praying for Arena as she launches her Natasha's project this coming Saturday night. That's pretty exciting. Um, We are still looking at Christmas Eve, doing something on Christmas Eve. If you have a gift, a talent, a skill, you know, you can juggle puppies or you can, you know, I don't know, put cats in a, in a line or sing or dance or whatever. Um, please let me know because we'd love to be able to have a, a carol service and I'd love to be able to have you, in, you involved. I mean, I think that's the idea of it. Also, New Year's Eve, we're looking at doing something of the similar nature with lots of crazy games and bringing in the new year with praise, kind of like that, but hopefully on a day when my voice is actually on top of it. Uh, but with that said... We are looking as well at um, Christmas Day. If you do not have a place to go on Christmas Day, um, we are um, we would like to invite you to our home. I mean, that's just kind of the way we are. Um, we, we joke and say we take in strays, but um, truth be told, that's what Jesus did for us, and I just love to open up our home. And so we have room for you. Uh, the problem is there are, there isn't public transportation, so you have to figure out how to get there. So my my um, suggestion is find someone like Jeffrey or Peter and see if they can give you a piggyback ride. Uh, <laughs> there you go, Jeffrey. Um, anyways, with that said, so please please just don't spend this Christmas season alone. Um, there should be no reason for that. We're family here, and I love that. Okay. With that in mind, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and let's dig into what God has for us tonight. 
This is what we read. One one says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God in Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now let me say this. As I read this, I'm going to do this and kind of pepper it a little. Um, one of the things you look at as a, as a student, as a studier of the word, are repeated phrases. Because obviously that kind of means that there's something that the writer really wants to point out. And I'm going to start from the beginning again and tell me if you can hear something repeated. Um, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God in Sosthenes, our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, or literally called saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to me, or given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as our testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You get an idea there's some kind of repeated phrase here? That, you know, you kind of think, well, aren't all scriptures kind of that? And it's like, well, there's a real emphasis, a high density of Jesus' name being listed here for good reason. And so verse 10, it says, And now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, Kephas. Or, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Uh, lest, I should, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Oh, yes, okay, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Uh, besides, I don't know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize. But to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be with no effect, or made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, the, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent." Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Oh, Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world. And the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became for us wisdom from God. And righteousness. And sanctification. And redemption. As it is written. He who glories. Let him glory in the Lord. Pray with me would you please. Lord, I thank you so much for the beauty of this text. And I don't know how far we're going to get tonight, but I am so thankful for the time you've allotted for it. And I pray, Lord, as you know every one of us, from those of us who feel like we're extremely familiar with this text, to those who've never opened up a Bible before in their lives and are fearful of what it may say to them, speak words of love and peace and challenge and encouragement Lord, you've told us with bonds of love you have drawn us. And so, Lord, may those bonds of love go out today, those cords of love. And, Lord, may we willingly respond rightfully to your Holy Spirit as you minister in this time. So have your way, Lord, I pray. Thank you so much for the blessing of you and the power of your word, that your word does the work and your Holy Spirit does the convicting. So now, Lord, immerse me in your spirit, fill me to overflowing, and do through me what I cannot humanly do. Lord, speak to every one of us in a way that we can understand. Lord, whether we speak English well or not, whether we understand the culture well or not, whether we have any understanding of you up to this point or not, but may we all walk out of here knowing you, knowing your love your great gift, and why it is so wonderful to be in you. So have your way now, I pray, in Jesus' name. May we have so much fun in your word. May it burst open and come alive for each of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true, because I say so. Search the scriptures, let the Bible always be your authority. If you remember, we walked through the book of Acts, sort of the play-by-play, the narrative that led up to this, where a man named Paul with two of his assistant, an assistant and an apprentice, assistant named Silas and an apprentice named Timothy, had traveled through the area and made their way after coming through Athens to Corinth. There they would spend, he would spend a year and a half. During that particular time, if you remember, he went into the synagogue. They didn't have anything of it. So he went right next door to a guy named Justice and just set up shop next to the synagogue to preach Jesus. While he did that, the original synagogue leader, his name, if you remember, was Crispus, gave his life to Christ and thus more than likely got fired. The new guy that took over was a guy named Sosthenes, if you remember, who raises up Paul, in a sense, to bring him to court in front of a guy named Gallio, who then will be uh, trying, or to be the, the magistrate, the governor, as they bring this guy Paul in, and they try to nail this guy to the wall. Gallio is, no, is not known for being a nice guy. As a matter of fact, he's known for being rather cruel. 
But here, he's had it up to here. He's just done with it. And he looks at these people who are trying to nail Paul, and they say, hey, listen, this is a religious matter. And can you imagine the same thing would happen, even in this country? If you brought a person and you didn't like their doctrine, and you thought they were preaching something funky or wonky, and you brought them up to, you know, and you tried to get them arrested, and then like, excuse me, this is a matter for the church, this isn't a matter for... The government, and that's kind of the idea. And then we read that they took Sosthenes, the antagonist, the one against Paul, and they beat him right in front of him, but he pretended like he didn't see it. By the time we get to this letter now, Paul, by the way, now writes with Sosthenes, our brother, and I wonder if that is the same Sosthenes. What an amazing thought that would be. The guy that tried to get Paul arrested is now the guy that's writing the letter with Paul. Paul is writing to a church, we'll find by chapter 3, is immature. They are spiritually retarded. And that's all honesty. And I don't mean that in any nasty way. I mean that as sincere and as, and as clear and as simple as that means. You see, understand that when we gave our life to Christ, if you have, this is how it starts. And this is what makes Jesus so different from everything else. There can be no superstars within the body of Christ, unless it be Jesus. Strangely enough, we still do that anyways, because we try to drag the world into the church. But Jesus is the superstar because he's the only one who died for us. He's the only one who rose from the dead. But he gives us new life. The, and he, because he paid for our sins, all of our wrongdoing, and every human being knows there's something wrong with us. The issue is, how do you deal with it? Every other religion is how you try to make up for it yourself. Do enough good deeds, take your trip, pray five times, give whatever you give to whoever and whatever, and make sure you observe every holiday, make sure you do everything the way you fast and you feast and you sit down and you stand up and you fight, fight, fight. You do whatever you have to do. But by the time you're done, you're just hoping your performance is good enough. But in the end of it all, it still made you a criminal. If you break a crime, I mean, if you, you, know, if you, if you break a crime, if you, if, if you do something that makes you a criminal, just being nice doesn't stop you from being a criminal. Somebody has to pay the crime. The difference between everyone else and Jesus is Jesus actually paid for our crimes. That's the difference. And as a result of that, accepting the gift of Jesus Christ gives Jesus' perfection, his payment upon ourselves. It's like a check written that we get to cash the moment we by faith accept Jesus' gift for us. The, cash, the check that we cash is one of our own purity and innocence now because Jesus has paid the price. But according to scripture, in John 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. He doesn't just say you must be nice, you must be religious, you must go to church, you must whatever. You must make sure that your phone's on silent when you get to church, or whatever it is. What he said is, look at, I'm not looking to redecorate your life. I'm looking to reinvent it. And as a result of that, I want to start all over again. And as a result of that, we become a brand new baby in Christ, spiritually, the moment we say yes to him. The problem is, is that for some, they just assume that's everything. The problem is, could you imagine, that we, would call that, we would call that actually criminal neglect. If a baby was born, and then you kind of went, well, let's let that thing kind of handle itself, let's move on to the next thing. That baby's in need from the moment that child is born. Because we know sooner or later in hopes that that child will grow to a place where it can be self-sustaining. But in the beginning, that child needs to be fed, that child needs to be washed, that child needs to be changed, that child needs to be washed, watched. That child needs to be made sure that they're not rolling off of things. And that's part of what we do as parents. 
But we know, as we look at that child, that child will not stay in that state for the rest of its life. As a matter of fact, within a month you will notice some pretty strong, obvious differences. You'll start noticing after a small period of time that things start to happen like diet changes. What they take in changes. And what comes out of them changes too. It's not so pretty ever, but it starts to smell a lot worse. Sooner or later, you know, and what I always think it's funny as a parent, it's like parents can't wait till their children speak and they can't wait till their children walk and then they spend the rest of their life telling them to sit down and shut up. It's a bit ironic to me. But imagine if Lucas now, in his 20s, is still in a nappy, waiting for Daniel and Chooks to change him, waiting for someone to warm up a bottle of formula to feed him, we would all think, that's a little weird. Understand, when God told us that we were a new creation, and he told us we needed to be born again, he laid out that metaphor and that clarity, that fact, for a purpose, and that is that there is an intention that we should grow. We'll grow in what we start to take in. We'll grow in what comes out. We'll grow in the manner of speech. I mean, initially, maybe we're kind of spiritually goo-gooing and gagaing. But as we grow, we learn how, through his word, how to actually speak. And how our hands are for more than just making noise and burning them on the, on the hob. How everything changes. Well, unfortunately, this particular church, this Corinthian church, was a three-ring circus. And it looked like it was the happening place. I guarantee you, this place would be standing room only. But the pastor who planted it, Paul, is now writing to them. And he's saying, you know what? For all the things that are happening, you are not growing up. It's like this should be so much more than a nursery by now, preschool by now. Some of you should be teachers by now. This is to the Gentiles what Hebrews is to the Jew. And that is, man, you should be growing up. And there are signs and symptoms of not growing. And can I just say that when you first gave your life to Christ, I'll say this is for me at least. When I first gave my life to Christ, I was 19. I was a 19-year-old sinner, and I was a five-minute-old Christian. I was well-educated in sin, and I was very new in how to behave as a Christian. Now I've been Christian longer, believe it or not. Hopefully it's harder for you to. I've been a Christian longer than I wasn't one. And so I've learned how to grow with that. But what's interesting is some of the things he points out, especially in these first six chapters, are things that I still deal with, and you just might too. And here's the first of them in this chapter. See, he hears from a group called, he says here, Chloe's household. And I remind you, Paul was there as a pastor planting this church for a year and a half. He knows these people. These are friends to him. Well, look at it with me. Let's dive into it. He says, Paul... Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes. And by the way, because they are so immature, because it is, and by the way, we'll see that there should be a growth and there isn't, though there are other things that are happening. That that's why the constant focus is you need to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ, not just Jesus. With all due respect to that, Jesus has to be more than just cool guy that's your homeboy that you're happy about. 
that somehow gave you a falafel and a handshake and pulled you out of the pit. Jesus deserves to be your Lord as well. And if he doesn't, you will stay spiritually retarded. Because somehow you think that Jesus is the great cosmic bellboy. You go, ding, I'd like the next this and that, and give me this and bless my day, and here's my plan, make it work. And that's just not where we're supposed to be with this. And when that happens, you put you first, and there's no way to have unity when you have a bunch of selfish people that are all about themselves first. It ain't going to work. So notice it says, Paul to be called to be an apostle of, of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, who in every place call on the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, in a letter, that might just be, yo, sup, whatever. But I, do you recognize, though, notice that this letter, like every epistle, was written to the saved, not to the lost. Have you noticed that? He says here that they're sanctified, saints, submitted, and assembled in Corinth. That's what he says in these verses. Now, it is important to note this, especially if you've come from certain backgrounds, that saint is not as mysterious as some places have made it. You can go to Italy, you can go to France, and you can go to other places, and it's like some dead guy who maybe did a couple miracles... Maybe he did a card trick or like was able to make a, you know, a ball appear out of your ear or whatever it is. But somehow in all of that, he died and you embalmed him like a mummy. You stuck him in a church and people still kneel down to the guy as if he's listening. And they say, well, you don't understand. That's St. Frederick. I'm like, you don't understand. That's a dead guy. Let me tell you what scripture says. The moment you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, if you have you became a saint. God isn't taking a vote later to see whether you're super saint or sort of saint. In the end of it all, you became a saint. So like it or not, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, he moved in, he lived inside of you. He comes to live inside of you. And from this point on, you're now St. Mary. You're St. Chooks. And with a name like that, you're awesome because there aren't a lot of St. Chooks out there that I'm aware of. You know? It's like St. Lucas, St. Anthony. We can kind of fight over that one if we want to, bro. You know? St. Isidro. Hey, you know, how's that? St. Mark, you know, he's got to, I mean, he's got to work with the guy that wrote a, a gospel, so that's got to be a little rough for him. St. Ashling, huh? Say, this is one of those places where you're thankful to have kind of a, a you know, St. Lenore. It's like a, a little bit more of a unique name. But please understand in this, that the Bible doesn't, because all saint means is set apart. The moment you said yes to Jesus Christ, God the Father adopted you. And the moment you got adopted, you got set apart. I, we would, you know, you, of course, most of you are aware. We adopted this beautiful little girl. She's now 10. And she is set apart. Of all of the children in the world, two of them are mine. Of all of the, was it nearly 4 billion women in the world, one of them is my wife. And she is set apart. She is unique to every other woman in the world. Now, you should be very, very thankful. And we're not in one of those places where it's like you should marry more than one. There's one woman set apart unto me and she's the only one. And next year, it'll be 25 years we've been married. I love that. But please hear me. She is set apart. She is my girl. Those are my kids. And he says here, look it. That's what God says. In the book of Isaiah, he says about, about the nation Israel. And he says the same of us. 
I'm the one who created you. I am the one who's called you by name. You are mine. You know what? I've never been so happy to be someone else's because the one who loves me, loves me perfectly. And he goes, look it, I'm writing this letter to saints. I'm not writing this letter to the lost. If you, if, you're going to want to, if you want to open up the Bible and show someone something that doesn't know Jesus, I highly recommend the Gospels. They seem to be written specifically for that purpose. But the letters are written to people who have accepted Jesus Christ with the purpose of helping us grow now out of our nappies and become spiritually mature. And by the way, we'll see in the book of Ephesians that God says, if you don't open up this book, you'll stay spiritually retarded for the rest of your life. So, to the church that's there, they are sanctified, which means set apart. They're called set apart. That's the word saints. And with everyone who calls on the name. That, mean, that includes us now at that point. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, I thank my God always concerning you for the What? <laughs> that would really be weird. You're praying and like the voice of Siri comes out. Anyways. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God that was given to you by Christ Jesus. Can I just say, as a pastor, I like to learn from people who are pastors. And Paul is one of those people who's learning on the job. Paul has this horrible, think about how rough it would be for him. Paul, from the beginning of his ministry, it was recorded in scripture for billions and billions of people to read. Aren't you thankful as you grow in your ministry that someone's not writing down all of your things to, you know, and then trying to figure out why, how they should imitate even the things you did wrong? But this is one of those points where I'd say this is a great one. One of the beautiful things you learn about a pastor, which all that means is a shepherd, is that he carries his flock in his bosom. There's a space in his heart unique for that fellowship. Now, for a church planner like Paul, he's got churches all over Turkey. He's got churches all over Europe. And, and with that, understand, but each of them has a special place. And I, and I notice that when he thinks about them, gratitude is the attitude. Romans 1.8 Paul says he thanks God about the Romans, that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Ephesians 1, 15 and 16, when he heard about their faith and love um, for all of the saints and for the Lord Jesus, their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, he says he's thanking God for the fellowship and the gospel from the first day until now. Colossians 1, 5 and 6, he's thanking God for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he was thanking the Lord. When they received the word of God, they welcomed it as it was, the word of God and not just the word of man. 2 Timothy 1.5, he thanks the Lord for Timothy's genuine faith that's in him. Even Philemon, it's like one chapter, and yet he makes sure that in verses 4 and 5, he says he thanks the Lord when he's hearing about their love and his love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. You see, the thing about this guy is when he thinks about the people, he, he thanks God for them. And this part I get. Honestly, I don't know why, what's happened lately in my own schedule. Maybe you have these times too, where it's like, I'm getting like the hour and a half where I wake up in the middle of the night. Any of you get that? And it's like, you just wake up. And, and, and if you're kind of like grumpy because you're tired, you're wasting what could happen at those moments. And I'm like, Lord, well... I'm here. You woke me up. What would you like? I just want to make sure I'm hearing you right. Is there anything I need to hear? 
And it's like, you know, if you're anything like me, I get about, I give him about five seconds of silence and then I start talking. All right, Lord, well then can I just thank you for our fellowship? And one of the reasons why I'm up for the next hour and a half is I'm mentioning you guys by name. And, and, and be honest, because I really am thankful. I'm not trying to say, check me out, I'm Paul. The whole point is, is that as the Lord grows us to make us more like Jesus, this is the heart of Jesus. He is interceding for us and understand part of that is thanking the Father for you. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. When Paul begins this letter, he doesn't start up by saying, hey, punks, sup, what's wrong with you guys, you crazy foo? Foo out, I'll mess with you. He starts by saying, I'm really thankful for the grace. And that's where it starts. And then he starts listing a handful of the qualities that he knows about these guys. But it starts with grace. Please hear me. This is the difference between Jesus and everything else. Everything else, you earn it, there's no grace. What grace means is it's a gift. But a gift can't be given if you deserve it. That's not called a gift, that's called a paycheck. When something is given to you as a gift, it's solely because of the kindness of the giver, not the deservedness of the recipient. And the difference between being a Christian and anything else is that I've been given a gift I couldn't possibly deserve. I've been given life and innocence and purity, even as we sang. And the problem with that is, is that I tend to forget sometimes how washed and how pure and how clean I am in him. Well, look at what he says. Verse 4, he says, look at, when I think of you, I thank God because God has given you his grace. And it was given to you by Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, And you were enriched. The word there for enriched literally means to wake wealthy. The word is plutizo. We get the word plute. You might not read it today, but like the great Gatsby and other books, use a word like a plute. And a plute means a rich guy. And he says, look at You were made rich in everything in him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. So they, look at they started with great grace. Now they've gotten great gain bestowed upon them. They were spirit, excuse me, they're like spiritually lottery winners. Verse 6 says, and even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, they have a girth in their testimony. The word, by the way, for what's with is the word bayaho, and it means to make stable or to confirm, like something cemented in, or a, a tree with deep roots, so that you come short of no gift. So they have this great gain by grace. They have a girth in their testimony. They have gifts that are manifested. They're geared towards Jesus' coming. Notice it says, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have a guarantee of their innocence, their blamelessness, and they have God's faithfulness. God is faithful by whom you were called into his fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen. Up to this point, this is what he says. This is If the whole letter was this, you would have scored. This is a solid, straight A uh, uh, report card. He says, this is what I know about you. I know that God has given you great grace, and as a result of that, you are spiritually wealthy. You have a deep-rooted, girthy testimony. Your testimony isn't like just you heard about somebody else's great-grandpa. You have a personal testimony about what Jesus did in your life. And I've seen God's gifts, his spiritual gifts manifested in you guys. And you know this, that you are geared towards Jesus' coming. There is a part in your heart that knows that at any given moment, Jesus could return for us right now. And there's a part of you that's excited about that. It's not just on the back hob. This is something serious. And there is a guarantee. You are sure that you are going to stand before him blameless. And you know God is faithful to call you into that fellowship. You are 
faithful to that. But the problem isn't that. The problem isn't the great grace and the gain and the girth and the gifts and the way you're geared and the guarantee and God's faithfulness to fellowship. The problem is where's the growth? And you can have all those things and still not be growing. And that's the problem. And can I just sort of lay this out? Tell me if this makes sense to you. We we grow from me to he to we. That's the way we grow. If If we don't grow like Christ, it'll still always be about me. It's all about me, because nobody's as cool as I am. You know, it's like, it's like if we really were honest about it, it's like, you know, we were afraid to lift our hands because we're afraid people next to us are like, what are you doing, fool? Right? Or, oh, no, that person's mentally unstable because they like might stand. Or what. I mean, it's like the crazy things we could think because it's still all about us. And we come to church like a consumer. I just want to make sure I get entertained. I want to make sure that this doesn't go too long. I want to make sure, oh, how long before are we there yet? But we don't come in thinking, well, what about us? How do you, how do you want to use me to make this better? And we go from me to he to we. That's what happens when we grow. We go from the world to the word. We stop trying to get all of our answers from the world and we start going to the word of God and we get our answers there. We go from indifference to sin to intolerance to sin. We go from pointless passion to a purposeful purity. That's where we go. Because in the end of it all, if I still think I'm growing to become more like Jesus, but all I'm thinking about is myself, I am not looking like Jesus. I can't be selfish and look like Jesus. And that's why when you show some TV show about the guy with the eight Bentleys or whatever it is, and he's got the what quote unquote big church and all of that, I can tell you why his. I'll tell you why our church is bigger than his. Because if it's all about him, the Lord may not be there. And the Lord's here, and you can't get bigger than the Lord showing up at your church. You know what I'm saying? And I would much rather have His presence here than get those kind of presents there. Because in the end of it all, if that's all you have, the moment you die, you're leaving it. And at best you stand as a pauper before God. And I would much rather us all turn ours and say, all right, Lord, how do you want to use me to touch other lives? Notice starting in verse 10 what the problem is. Even though they have all of these great gifts before them, it says, but now I plead with you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Because you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing that you guys are all divided. That's what I heard from Chloe's household. That you... Be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Do you know what a contention is? To contend with another person? That means there's lines drawn, and on one side, you know, you know, on one side you're the Hatfields, and the other side you're the McCoys. I mean, that's kind of what it is. And it's like, you know what, let's get all the black people on one side, let's get all the white people on another, let's get the rich people on one side, let's get the poor on the other, let's get the old people in the back, let's get the new people in the front, or whatever it is. And in the end of it all, all of a sudden the church is like segmented. The problem is, we're supposed to be the body of Christ. You start dismembering the body of Christ, what happens to it? Let's cut off the arm and stick it over there and let's cut off the leg and put it there. That doesn't work. And Paul knows that. And when Paul left the church, I kind of get the idea here because he says, you guys, I just learned this from Chloe's household. I kind of get the idea maybe they weren't like that when Paul was there. But imagine Paul saw a different church and he was there for a year and a half. Now he's in Ephesus across the Aegean Bay and all of a sudden he hears, you know what? These people are arguing. And here's the crazy thing. Some are arguing and they're bringing your name into it. That's the crazy part about this. 
Please hear me. In the book of Ephesians, God makes clear that disunity is a sign of immaturity. Because disunity is all about you. And being all about me is immature. Hey, a baby is totally selfish for a reason. It has to survive. But as we get older, we became more aware. A baby's not aware of the fact. It isn't like, can you imagine a baby's just one week old, but it goes, <laughs> oh, it's four in the morning. I can't wake up my mom right now. That would be terrible. I'll cry again in three hours. Wouldn't that be nice? But it doesn't work that way. The baby doesn't think about anything but itself. But you would hope as the baby gets older that the baby realizes there are other people in the world. How much more us as Christians, beloved? And if we're really selfish and self-centered and it's all about us, and then somebody who doesn't know Jesus walks in here, what's going to look any different? So please hear me. Now listen to this. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore, this is Paul again writing to the Ephesian church, the where he's at at the moment when he writes this letter. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because there really is only one body and one Spirit by which you were called, one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, and one God and Father of us all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. By verse 17, when he starts speaking about spiritual gifts, 7 through 16, he says this in verse 13, as he's given some to be pastors, some evangelists, pastor teachers, some prophets, some apostles, and he says then, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, or a person who's complete, you've finished your route, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, Listen, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. And that we may grow up in all things into him, that's Jesus, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its, listen, every part does its share. Do you know what that means? That means a body that's healthy, all parts function. Wouldn't that make sense? And as a result, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And by the way, Paul knew that dividing would conquer. Jesus knew that dividing would conquer. Jesus said in Matthew twelve twenty five. That a kingdom divided against itself will be brought to desolation. It can't stand. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Paul in Acts 23, when brought before the religious leadership, knew that they were two very diverse groups of people. And he brings up one of those dogmas that separates the two of them. As a result of that, he says, well, you know, the problem is I just believe in the resurrection. And half of them go ballistic and say, oh, we don't believe in that. The other half say, well, what's wrong with them then? And he kind of knew that that was, you know, and you can imagine if you brought, you know, the sort of the, the liberals and you brought, you know, the, the conservatives and you brought them all in and you said, it was because I stand for this, how half would go mental and the other half would say, oh, actually, he's pretty smart. He's playing a political game. And the whole point of that is, is that the enemy knows as well that dividing a body kills it. That's just the way it works. But think about this with your own body. 
What part of your body do you not want to work? Maybe your nose when you think it's running. But after a while, you still need it to breathe. Aren't you thankful all of your body parts are working? Even if you don't think they're working well, chances are they're still working. Could you imagine if your body was like the body of Christ? One part's really working hard and the rest of it's kind of just hoping that it would just cover for the rest. And the reason I say that is, is that God says when we really grow up, you know what happens? We all get busy. Now, we don't get busy because the pastor hands out assignments. The head didn't tell the hand what to do, although it gets to be a part of it. Jesus is the head anyways. I've learned this. When you fall in love with Jesus, you just find yourself doing what he's called you to. When the blood is supplied, the body functions. Does that make sense? Please hear me in this. As Paul writes and he says then in verse 11, it's been declared to me by those of Chloe's household, you guys are all divided. Because that just sounds like a really carnal church. Look at verse 12, what he says. Now I say this, that each of you says, some say I'm of Paul. After all, he planted the church. That would make sense, right? Some say I'm of Apollos. Because that was the guy, if you remember, that was really a gifted speaker. And so they're like, check that guy. He's really smart. I really like him. Some say I'm of Kephas. That's Peter. And I wonder, here's the thing. When you look at all the people that were in Acts 2 that had gotten saved, none of them were listed were Greek places. None of them were in Greece. They were almost all in Turkey or Macedonia. And yet, in all that, and of course some towards Persia, and yet, in all of that, there could be those that have gotten saved back then and then moved to Greece. So they're like, well, I got saved through Peter in Acts 2, which means I was like the original Christians. And some say, well, I'm of Christ. Y'all stupid. <laughs> oh, please hear me in that. Do you think that happens today? It happens in any church, any denomination or non-denomination. And all that is is name dropping. Isn't that what it is? Hey, if you're a worship leader and you play music, I, you know, drop a few names. Maybe it'll get you somewhere. You don't even have to know who that person is. But it's amazing how people can do that. As a teacher, or you want to go, oh, you know what? I listen to you every day at this time, blah, blah, blah. Well, hey, that's cool if you do, because you're being blessed. But you move into a circle, and you're saying, hey, by the way, I just want you to know I'm close personal friends with. And I've had people tell me about that, about people who have who've died 15 years ago. I go, yeah, we just had lunch yesterday. I'm like, well, now that is remarkable. That is impressive. But you know what that says? That says that you're insecure. And that's totally understandable. But if we're insecure, what we're thinking about is ourselves. We're saying, how do I make myself likable? You know how I make myself likable? i tell you how. I'm good friends with Pastor Tony. Yeah, that's going to get you far. Well, don't you realize way back... You know, they'll do the same thing. They're like, you know what? Well, I'm, I was here with the original Calvary in London. Well, hey, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Oh, yeah, well, I, I'm close friends with Pastor Chuck, who, as you're probably aware of, has passed away. So I bet you're probably not hanging out with him lately. With all due respect. But here, to be honest, none of that really matters. And, we've, if, and by the way, if you don't know who those people are, with all due respect, you know what? Then I think we're doing our job right. Because if you walk out of here knowing Jesus, you do, that's what it's about. Oh, wow, there we are. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, in the end of it all, if it's like, if you really think you know how to drop some names to get some kind of political thing, think about what we haven't done here. 
as a result of that. Because to be honest, it's just about Jesus. And that's what he keeps saying. Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's where he wants you to know. Do you know that name? But some are saying, I'm of Christ. When they say I'm of Christ, what they're saying is, well, I actually was an original. I hung out with Jesus way back when. I was there back. Because, you know, I want to remind you, this isn't that long. We're talking now in the 50s. That was 20 years ago that Jesus walked the earth. And it's like, well, check it out. You know what makes me a superstar? And that's what we are doing here. You know what makes me a superstar? I was baptized in the Spirit back in 1976 in a tent. And I tell you what, I floated and I spun around and I just wooed and hollered and I grew feathers and I flew up to the moon and I came back down and I touched everyone and they, they fell over and started shaking like a person with a problem. I'm like, wow, congratulations. Do you think the Lord's like, whoa, glad we have you on our team. See, what the Lord is doing in the rest of this chapter, and I'll do this quickly, but I want to point this out. Is that the Lord says, you know, when I use somebody, I tend to use the underdogs. God has a soft spot for the underdog. So if you think you're a superstar, chances are God picked you because you were actually super needy. (laughs) And that's the point. And the beauty of that is, is that you can come to Christ as messed up and as funky and wonky as you possibly can be. And he's not intimidated by it because God knows how to fix everything. Look at it with me and let's wrap this around. Notice Paul says, look, and you know, I thank God that I didn't bet. And notice how Paul's like not even sure. He's one of those guys that's like so confident, but then he's like doesn't really sure of the details. He's like, I thank God that I didn't really baptize anyone. Okay, well, there was like Crispus and Gaius. Crispus, let me remind you, who's Crispus? That was the synagogue leader who believed. Do you remember that? He's like, okay, so I baptized him, you know, his family or whatever. And, and, and there's Gaius. And we can argue over, there's a couple guys in scripture with that name. Oh, okay, so I didn't... Be- oh, well, then there was that Stephanus guy. Okay, yeah, that was probably him, too. And I wonder, as if he's writing this, there are other people, like, you know, who's with him, like, for instance, Sosthenes. He goes, yeah, yeah, but you got... So- you, you, Stephanus, you baptized him. Oh, yeah, okay, so I Stephanus, too. And who's one of the writers... Who's the one who carried the letter to Paul from Chloe? One of the three. And he goes, okay, so... But I don't really remember if I baptized anyone else. <laughs> you know, let's just get that clear. <laughs> So if anyone says, well, I was baptized by Paul, I'm like, you know, how sad would that be? And he's like, well, Paul doesn't remember that he did that. <laughs> and that's the point. He goes, look, God didn't send me to do that. Because when you got baptized, you didn't get baptized into a church. You didn't get baptized into a person. You were publicly declaring what Jesus did. That's the point. You didn't like, this isn't an inauguration into the church. This was a coming out party to tell the world what Jesus did. So if you think, wow, check me out, I'm awesome because I got baptized by Pastor Chuck. or I got, I'll tell you what, when, when my wife and I were getting baptized, because neither of us had been baptized before the point, we went into a place called Pirate's Cove, which is where Pastor Chuck, for whatever that's worth, the guy who started the Calvary Chapels back in the, the early 70s, um, late 60s. And, and it's like the line, and it was really funny because the line for him was like 7,500 people and they were like, 13 other guys in the water with no waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but with all due respect, I'm kind of a, well, let's go to the one that has no line. So, I'll, And I'll be honest, just to show you where my, my heart was, there was one man with dark skin, and I said, that's the one I'm going to. I want to go to someone that looked like he came from my neighborhood. And I went to that, and I, later on, by the way, I would meet that guy. He's in Belize now. And I just kind of went there. Well, okay, so I didn't even know what the guy's name was, which was totally cool, right? I mean, and I'm like, you check it out. I was baptized by that guy. I don't even know who he is. The fun part about it is when we moved to the Central Coast. You see, because the only thing that people knew there was the term Pirate's Cove. You see, in our area, Pirate's Cove was a nude beach. We didn't know that. 
So imagine when I'm telling everyone, yeah, my wife and I were baptized at Pirate's Cove. It was such a beautiful, freeing experience. And we just stood up and said, hallelujah. And they're like, ah! Because uh, I didn't know when we first moved there. So careful how you name drop. You know. The point is this. Is that Paul didn't send someone, to, Paul didn't come to baptize because he came to bring Jesus. He came to make it all about Jesus. And that's where it's supposed to be for all of us. Everything after that gets confusing. So look at the last part. And by the way, can I just say this? Listen. Because when he says, here's the problem. If you're baptizing to show who you are, tell me if this makes sense. As I'm kind of thinking about this. People go to seminaries so they could become experts. But the moment you become an expert, well then the laity, the common person, is downgraded. So we exchange somebody who's simple and spirit-filled for somebody who's eloquent and educated. So now instead of godly character, we need worldly qualifications. How many years do you have? Do you have a master's in divinity? Whatever that means. And so now a simple prayer is exchanged for a snazzy presentation. And the cross is power now. Oh, it's exchanged for a charismatic personality. Because what we want to do is grow a church, get a lot of people. So in the end, we come in to be wowed, not to worship. Does that make sense? Because we've got a guy who's smart, who's eloquent, with a super cool laser light show. And we, we don't just do PowerPoint behind us, man. The words like dance off the page. And we put on the glasses and it's 3D. And we can reach out and grab the name Jesus as we're singing, right? Because it's, you know, there now. It's like, ooh, right? And it's like, you know, and then like there's like solid gold dancers that run through the aisles. And it's like, da-da-da, you need Jesus, right? And it's like, hey, there's place for that if it's cool. But it's like, it's such a snazzy presentation if you're not wowed by the the time you walk out, you're like, well, that was really lame. Because like, what was it? It was like, Jesus was there, that's all. Could you imagine? And that becomes the danger, beloved. The, in, the, people, the things that people have said about our fellowship already um, throughout the years have been so, like, what seem like insults have been the, the greatest things. I've heard of an old, you know, you know what, when you get old, you can just decide to stand up and say whatever you want as loud as you want. You know, I love that. Anyways, I, I won't even tell you the conversations I've had this week out on park benches. But, uh, but it's like one gal, somebody goes, this is a church. This is like a Bible study and like singing love songs to God. I'm like, wow, that's, I think we did something right. I mean, thank you. And I realize those things that do divide, like carnality as we see here in this thing through figureheads as we see, or with the, with, um, with Galatians, it's the dogma, the pride of your dogma. And I don't mean truth in Scripture, but it's like, hey, this is our special little tradition and you better keep up with it. Or in, by, in Ephesus, do you know what the thing is that divided the church? It was race. Do you know that? There was a racism issue in the Ephesian church. That was a problem. And by the way, I hope you realize racism goes every direction. Don't tell me that you know one group of people is is, is only a victim because I've known I've been around the block a few times to note every group of people can be racist to another group of people, and it's like all you have to do is look at the outside. That's just the focus. And can I just say there's no room for racism in the body of Christ. You know we all are jerks that should go to hell that Jesus saved, and who it's like and we all bleed the same color. Well, how can we look beyond that? Personality was the issue in the Philippian church. Here, of course, it's carnality. So listen, follow me on this. The message of the cross, foolishness to those who are perishing. It is, but to those who are being saved, it's the power. It's either going to be foolishness or power. 
Because the cross says that you are too weak to save yourself, you put yourself in peril, and you need to be rescued. How can that not be offensive? So God says, look at the worldly wisdom says, be smart and do something really smart to get your way out of it. The Greek mind says, you know, give some kind of wisdom, do it that way. The, the religious church says, you know, the religious world says, do something strong to get yourself out of it. Do something good and disciplined to get yourself out of it. But if, what if you're in the place where you're not, there's no way, there's no way you can smart your way out of it. No way you could strengthen or discipline your way out of it. You just need to be rescued. When you're drowning in the middle of the ocean, it doesn't matter how smart you are. And it doesn't matter how strong you are. Nobody's strong enough to swim their way out of that. And no one's smart enough to think their way out of it. You need to be rescued. And that's what the gospel says. That's why it's so offensive. Because people are like, no, no, no. I think I'm smart enough to figure this one out on my own. Well, how about figure this out? A life ring thrown to you or a boat that you can climb in to actually not die? That's simple. But just because you're smart doesn't mean that you can't take a simple answer when it's simply the truth, right? And the gospel says, we need to be rescued. And my God is an equal opportunity rescuer. It doesn't matter who you are, he'll rescue you. So where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Where are those people in the sight of God? Hasn't God just shown that that's foolishness to him? The guy, and what you're saying is, I'm too strong for you, God. I don't need you. I'm too smart for you, God. I don't need you. And God says, well, that just shows how weak and dumb you are. But God has made foolish the wisdom of the world, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God says, you know what? Listen, Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. It's God's words. Psalm 110, or 111, sorry, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So God says, look it. We could try to make a church where we just try to make you look smarter, try to make you look more disciplined, or we could celebrate the God who did it for us and enjoy the fact that he wants to set us free. Aren't you thankful that that's where we get to be? Now with that, it says, the Jews request a sign. Look at it with me. But the Greeks seek after wisdom. The religious world wants proof. The worldly world wants logic. But we preach Christ crucified. Which, by the way, blows the fuse of both. Because it is the clearest proof. And it is the greatest logic. But it's too smart for the logical mind. And it's too strong for the one who just simply wants proof. But to those who are called, it's the power and the wisdom of God. Because even God's dumbest thought is more brilliant than man's most brilliant. God's most weakest thing is still stronger than anything that man can muster. And then he says this to close. You see, brother, in verse 26, this is how smart God is. Look at who God used. In verses 27... Then through 28, God says he picked five different people. Follow me on this and we'll close this up. Ready? Let me see. I'm going to get five people. Hugo, ici, s'il vous plaît. Deborah, qui, per favore. Jenny, would you come here, please? <laughs> Naomi, 
and the luck. Okay, they're here to help you remember. They're here to help you remember these five things that we read in Scripture and why you can't try to brag about how awesome you are because God uses you. Does that make sense? Now, for you, you might think, well, God isn't using me yet. Well, then, when he does, learn this ahead of time. This is clearly for me as well. Are you ready? So here are the five people. Now, each one of you has to make a face or a position or something to help the people remember these five things. Are you ready? So here we go. Now, notice what it says. It starts with this. It says in verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. So you get to look foolish. And you feel it like, I feel foolish. Was that pretty good? Would you agree that that's pretty good? Okay. Okay. So what is this one? Okay, now how about the rest of you? What's this one again? Right. And God says, look, when I pick somebody foolish, then clearly those that think they're so smart and this person does something brilliant, the rest of the world goes, now how do they do that? And you're like, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. They tie my shoes. That's the idea here. And understand, so if you think you're so darn smart because you followed the Lord and he's doing something brilliant through you, you know what? God says, that's because I pick really, really needy people for the simple reason so that when somebody foolish does something brilliant you go that must be God right so what's the first one again foolish it says God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise now notice the next one then he goes from there so it says then and God has chosen what's the second one here the weak the weak things to shame that are strong yeah okay so what's this one again Foolish. What's this one? Yeah. Now this is why I think it's so funny when we look at pictures of Samson. We look at pictures of Samson and he's always like, Hello, I've come to pump you up. Right? And then they, but then people want to ask what's the secret of his strength. If the guy like can't put on a shirt because he looks like the Hulk, why would you ask him what the secret of his strength is? What if he's like a little guy like this? And it's like, oh. But then the Spirit of the Lord comes over and he's like, right? what would that be like? Then you kind of go, what's the secret of your strength? And you're like, it's the power of the Lord, right? And the reason I say that is, is that you don't have to be brilliant for God to use you. So stop thinking that God only picks those brilliant, with all due respect to, to Naomi. The point is, is that God can use anyone because he's smart enough for the both of us. Do you get that? And you don't have to be strong for God to use you because God is strong enough for both of us. And what's great is, is that even in our weakness, we feel like God couldn't possibly use me. Look at how weak I am. And God goes, that's exactly why I want to use you. Are you with me in that? So what's the second one? Okay, so... Okay, what's the next one? What does it say? Despised. What does it mean to be despised? Yeah. Not liked. Everybody doesn't. No, this is just you're pretending. Yeah. Everyone doesn't like you. That's what it means. You're the unpopular one. C'est mal. C'est dommage. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, no. He's kind of... Yeah, see, look at... <laughs> okay. The despise. And here's the crazy thing. You know what this means? This means... You don't have to be popular for the Lord to use you in society. Think about what the world teaches. If you could be popular, you know, beautiful, 
or strong or brilliant, then God would use you. And God's like, how about if I actually pick... I mean, imagine, these are the people... You ever have those games... Any of you ever have physical education where they had to pick teams and your heart started to race and go, oh, please. (laughs) And you just knew at the end there would be like five people. They're like, okay, you can have those three. As long as you have those three, I'll take these two. And you're like, they're bargaining over that and you just never wanted to be part of that group. This is, the, this is that group, and this is who God picks first. I think that's cool, because you know why? Those other people tend to think that they don't need God. These people know that. So what happens when God takes somebody that's socially awkward, and I don't mean that of you, Hugo, but that's socially awkward and says, I'm going to use this person to change the world. Moses tried to argue with God because he said he wasn't a good speaker. What do you think of that? Jeremiah argued with God because he said he was so young. Isaiah argued with God because he said he was a man of a filthy mouth. So what's your argument? You're too weak? You don't think you're smart enough? You don't think you're social enough? You're like, Facebook, I'm still trying to figure out my space. Then you know you're in trouble. Okay, so here we go. Ready? What's the first? Okay, how about the rest of you? What's the first? What's the second? Week. Third one? Despised. You ready for the next one? What's the next one? Base. And what does that mean? Ba-dum, boom, 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 boom. What is base? Do you know what base is? The person at the bottom. A base is the person that's like, that, that like everybody overlooks. That everyone just kind of goes, oh, that person? That's the idea. They're the low life. That's the person You ever wonder why there's people that are like, you know, I was like punching puppies and kicking nuns and I was like just slapping children and then God saved me. It's like, you know, because that person was base. They were at the bottom. And God doesn't have a problem meeting you at the bottom. Because he knows that if he can get you there, he'll get you there. Does that make sense? That's the base. He says, because this is who God chooses. Because when God lifts up the base... You go, well, clearly that must be God. Okay, so ready? We're almost all there. Where you go? What's the first? And then? And then? Despised? And then? And then, you ready for the last one? She's like, oh, no. It says, and those that are not. And you go, are not? Anyone think are not? You know what an are not is? That's the one who gets looked at by others and says, You'll never amount to anything. You're a nobody. You're a nothing. Any of you have ever been told that? I was told that like all of my entire childhood. You know what I love is that, and you know what you kind of wear too. Anyways, um, you know what's beautiful is that God takes our knots and he calls them as if they are. And God, and, and someone says, you're a nobody. And God says, I love nobodies. And God says, you're, you know, people say, you're a no one. And you say, I love no ones. And as long as you're willing to come that way, God's willing to love you. Does that make sense? Are nots. Are nots. So here we go. Quick test. Ready? First one. And then? And then? Despised. And then? And then? Okay. Have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Please hear me. He goes, no, put that to the beginning and we'll close this up. And the beginning is like, what, you guys think you're superstars? You're like, check it out. I'm of Peter. 
Check it out. You know what? Peter and I, we're like this, man. You know, it's like, check it out. You know, Peter, he walked on water. Someone's like, yeah, but he said, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, 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 but he's like, he, but he's like the Pope, right? I mean, he's Peter. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but I'm a Paul. He planted this church, man. Come on, Paul. Well, yeah, well, I, I, I'm with Apollos because he's so smart. And we like do all of these classes on how to talk smart. Oh, yeah. And he's like, okay, so we have that group. Oh, yeah, well, I was with Jesus before all of all y'all. You guys were still going to hell and I was hanging out with Jesus. I was there. I ate that fish and loaves when he broke it. I like actually had the original fish and loaves, you know, before it became a ministry. That was it. I ate that. Mm. Yeah, and then you probably walked away and deserted him like everybody else did. He goes, well, let me tell you about what God does with superstars. He's like, Peter was a nobody, wasn't he? Paul was despised. Think about it. He was despised. Hated because he was, Christ, he was killing Christians. Calls himself the least. That's base, isn't it? Paul even says, why do I do what I don't want to do? That sounds pretty weak. Peter would deny that he knew Jesus three times. That sounds pretty weak. Jesus is having a board meeting up on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. And Peter jumps up and says, hey, let's make some tents. That sounds pretty stupid. Let's be honest. God actually has to tell Peter to shut up. He says, look at this is my son. Listen to him. Stop it. Stop. Listen. It's the dumb. It's the weak. It's the despised. It's the base. It's the are-nots. So why won't he use you? There's only one reason, because you won't want him to. That's all that's left. It clearly isn't that you quali- you don't qualify. What, you're too strong? You're too smart? Too liked? Too socially gifted? Too beautiful? God can fix that. He goes, here's the problem. No matter how brilliant you are, you couldn't have figured out how good God is. No matter how strong you are, you still can't arm wrestle God. No matter how popular you are, if you're not a household name up in heaven, it isn't going to matter. Because my God loves you and he's not afraid of who you really are. Hey, let's be honest. Don't you try to play the game of making yourself really look good? You're sort of strong, so you try to look like Hercules. And you try to lay all your trophies up in front, but the problem is if you put all your good things up front, that means if anyone really tries to get to know you beyond that, it's not going to be good anymore. All your good stuff was used up in the front. Does that make sense? But there is somebody who knows you absolutely. Knows you absolutely. And he knows how weak you are. And he's not intimidated by that. And he knows how dumb you can be. And he's not intimidated by that. And he knows that you're just not. Even if everyone else thinks that person's totally confident, God knows how insecure you are. And he's not intimidated by that. He knows those nights when everyone else thinks, well, that person's really got it together and you are like, I can't even put two things together right now. He knows that and he's not intimidated. He's not afraid of it because he loves you anyways. So you don't have to pretend. You don't have to muster up some great presentation because God loves you just the way you are. And here's the crazy part. He will even use you. He didn't just save you. He adopted you. And then he raises you up to use you among the other parts of the body. You go, well, exactly how much weight do you think your kidney can hold can, can hold up? Exactly how much weight do you think 
that your small intestine could bench press. But it isn't called to do that. It's just called to do what it does. And beloved, can I just say as we go to prayer now, let's stop trying to pretend we're awesome because when we do, we're competing with the one who really is. And let's grow up. Let's grow up to where we just make it about him. King of kings, Lord of lords, almighty God. Isn't that what we want? Because the more it becomes about Jesus, the more we love each other the way we should. And to be honest, the more we're okay in our own skin. Because he loves us the way we are, but he doesn't leave us the way we are. That same foolish person gets the wisdom of eternity through God's Holy Spirit and his word. That same weak person has the strength of the universe as God comes to live inside of him. That same despised person becomes infinitely showered in the love of the one who loves them perfectly. And all the angels of God in heaven rejoice at their surrender. That same person that was base and low and at the bottom, that bottom dweller gets lifted up to a place of great honor in the kingdom of God. And the person that had no future and had nothing but a nobody is a household name in heaven. That hears, well done, good and faithful servant as they surrender. And I think that's pretty amazing. There is no other religion, there is no other ideal or mindset out there that so welcomes the weak and the despised and the base, the foolish, the are-nots. Because this is the one of a God who loves you perfectly. Now, have you accepted the gift of this Jesus? If you have, are you willing to stop fighting him for how he wants to use you? Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of your word. And Lord, we know there was so much that could be developed, but I I believe you said what you needed to say tonight, and and I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful, Lord, that you are just a God who is so unintimidated by our humanity. Lord, how you've known, how you've known our weaknesses, you know our frailties. Jesus, you even came to earth in flesh, in human flesh, that you could be tempted in every way, yet without sin, so that, Lord, we could enjoy you. You came to get us. And you came, Lord, to pay our price on the cross. And so, Lord, if we were enemies in our heart and minds to you, despising you and your love, dead in our trespasses and sin, That's where we were. Sinners. And yet you were willing to die for us, to purchase us, to redeem us, to make us right. How much more will you cover us in your love as we surrender to you? So Lord, I pray we would stop making excuses for what your scripture has not made them. But Lord, rather that we would be willing to say, Lord, just make me the part of the body you intend to make me. So Lord, I pray tonight, whether we feel foolish or weak or despised or base or just nobodies. You know our name and you want us. And you want to use us to bless each other. Please do so. 
And in this room, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and you don't have to understand anything else other than this, if Jesus really died on the cross for you so that all of your guilt could be paid for and punished, and asks for you to receive by faith that gift to make him Savior and Lord of you, then you would be wise to say yes. And then I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to say a confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let that be my prayer now. Let those words be my words, so be it in my life. You are making a choice today to accept God's gift, His Son. And today you will be born again, right now. And from this point on, God will be growing you to become more like Him. And here's the prayer. God, I'm a sinner. You know that. I know that. I've done wrong. I've thought wrong. I've felt wrong. But I believe that you so loved me that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross so that all of my crimes and everyone else's could be punished. So all of my guilt could be punished without you having to punish me. And as Jesus died on the cross, so did my guilty verdict. But just like your scripture promised, three days later he rose again. And now deserves to be my Lord, my leader, my love. And so, by faith I receive that. I receive the gift of Jesus. I receive that purity that you want to give me. The innocence for my guilt, cleanliness for my filth, your holiness. And so now I say, here I am. Father, if you really want to adopt me, please do so. By faith I receive that. I'm yours now. And I declare Jesus as my Savior, the payment for my sins, and my Lord. Have me now, please. I'm yours. Just as I am. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.